Chapter Twenty Two of Grace Harlowe's Senior Year at High School by Jessie Gray and Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two. Grace and Eleanor make a formal call. Before recess the next day, the news that Grace Harlowe and Eleanor Savelli had been seen in earnest conversation together travelled like wildfire around the study hall. The members of the Phi Sigma Tau could scarcely believe their eyes, and when at recess they sought for enlightenment, Grace would give them no satisfaction, save that she and Eleanor had really become friendly again. "'I love you all dearly, but I can't tell you about it yet, so please don't ask me. And I do tell you, you'll understand and be as glad as I am,' she informed them affectionately, and with this they were obliged to content themselves. At one o'clock that afternoon Grace was summoned from the study hall, and her friend's curiosity went up to the highest pitch, and did not in the least abate when Eleanor Savelli was also excused, and hurriedly followed Grace out. "'This must mean that they have caught him,' said Eleanor, as she and Grace turned their steps in the direction of the police station. Grace nodded silently. Her mind was busy with Marion's problem. She must get back the money that Henry Hammond had wheedled Marion into giving him. If the stranger had been apprehended, and if Hammond were really his confederate, then the stranger might, under cross-examination, betray Hammond, who would at once be arrested. Now that Eleanor had become her friend, Grace knew that she would never expose Marion in a class meeting, but even with this menace removed, still nothing could disguise the fact that the judge's gift could not be honestly accounted for. Grace believed that Henry Hammond had appropriated the money for his own use. She did not place any dependence in his story of having lost it through speculation. She therefore resolved that he should return it if she could devise any means of making him do so without subjecting him to public exposure. For Marion's sake she would refrain from carrying the matter into court, and she reluctantly decided to say nothing about the meeting between Hammond and the prisoner that she had witnessed at the station on the night of her return from New York. Eleanor's surmise proved to be correct. At the door of the station-house Grace's father awaited them, and they were conducted into the courtroom, where the first thing that caught Grace's attention was the eyes of the prisoner that glared ferociously at her. "'So you're the fresh kid that got me jugged, are you?' he snarled with a menacing gesture. I'd like to get my hands on you for a couple of minutes. Silence! roared Chief Burroughs. Then the examination began. The strong box had been turned over to the police that morning by Miss Nevin to be held as proof against the thief. Grace identified the man as the one she had seen tampering with the lock the previous night, repeating what she had heard him say as he left the old house. She then told her story of the removal of the box, which was corroborated by Eleanor and John, the coachman. "'This is not the first time this man and I have met,' declared Grace at the conclusion of her testimony. Then she related the incident of the train to the chief, while the prisoner glowered at her as if he would enjoy tearing her in pieces. While examined, he gave his name as Jones, denied ever having seen Grace before, but under rigid cross-examination finally admitted the truth of her story, and that he had been in Oakdale on the previous Thanksgiving, and had assisted in the theft of the strong-box. He had left for New York the following morning, supposing that his confederate would have no trouble in unlocking the box. "'Why did you leave Oakdale?' questioned Chief Burroughs. "'Robbing kids was too small business for me,' growled the man. We heard that this was a rich town, but when we got here I seized it up, and it didn't look good to me, so I beat it for New York the next day. But no amount of grilling could induce him to reveal the identity of his partner. He's too good a pal to squeal on. Nothing doing in that line, was the unvarying answer. 
When questioned as to his second visit to Oakdale, he said that his partner had been unable to open the strong box, and after looking about for some safe hiding place, had accidentally discovered the secret recess in the cupboard while prowling about the haunted house. This had seemed an ideal place of concealment, and he had secretly conveyed the box there until the prisoner, who was an expert cracksman, should be on hand to open it. "'And was that your sole object in coming to Oakdale?' was the chief's sharp query. "'Of course,' replied the prisoner. But the chief shook his head. "'There's a good deal more back of this. You have not answered truthfully. Your real motive for coming here was robbery.' Grace and Eleanor were not detained throughout the entire examination. After giving their testimony, they were allowed to go. Once they were fairly outside the police station, Grace took Eleanor by the arm and said, "'Eleanor, I have a call to make, and I wish you to come with me. We haven't a moment to spare, for the First National Bank closes at three, and it's a quarter after two now.' "'I'm very glad to hear that useful and interesting fact about the First National Bank. Are you going to deposit money there?' asked Eleanor, laughing. "'No,' answered Grace mysteriously. "'I'm going to draw money from there after I've called upon a certain person.' "'But what have I to do with it?' questioned Eleanor. "'Come with me and see.' Grace replied. After we have succeeded in that undertaking, I'll answer any questions you may ask. I warn you, however, that the call I am about to make is not a friendly one. Are you willing to stand by me through what may be a rather disagreeable scene? I certainly am, replied Eleanor emphatically. You ought to know from past experiences the disagreeable scenes in my forte. I know that I'd rather have you with me on this expedition than anyone else I know, responded Grace. You were not easily intimidated. The two girls by this time had left Main Street and turned into Putnam Square. "'Grace,' said Eleanor suddenly, "'I believe I can guess the place you are headed for. "'You are going to Henry Hammond's office, aren't you?' "'Yes,' said Grace, surprised at the accuracy of Eleanor's guess. "'I am. "'And you are going there about the money that he stole from Marian. "'Am I right?' "'You are,' answered Grace truthfully. "'But how did you know?' "'Because,' said Eleanor quietly, I intended going there myself. Then you think that, began Grace, I think that Henry Hammond is a thief and an impostor, finished Eleanor. He tried to interest Aunt Margaret in some real estate and called at Hartsey's on two different occasions. She is a very shrewd businesswoman and he couldn't fool her in the least. Both times he called he kept looking about him all the time, as though he were trying to see whether we had any valuables. He raved over the house and hinted to be shown through it, but we weren't so foolish. When Chief Burroughs was questioning the prisoner today about his confederate, it suddenly flashed across me that it might be this man Hammond. He appeared here for the first time on the night of the bazaar, and— Eleanor, exclaimed Grace, you have missed your vocation. You should have been a detective. I believe what you say to be the truth, and have thought so for some time. We can hardly denounce Henry Hammond upon suspicion, but we can scare him and make him give the class money. Perhaps we are defeating the ends of justice by not telling what we suspect, but if we have him arrested on suspicion, then the only way we can get back our money is to publicly charge him with, it, with extorting it from Marian. Think what a disgrace that would be for her in her graduating year, too, Grace added. She would feel too ashamed to ever again face her best friends. I have thought all of that, too, and now that we are both of the same mind, let's on to victory, said Eleanor. The two girls paused and shook hands as they entered the building in which Henry Hammond had his office, then mounted the stairs with the full determination of winning in their cause. "'Good afternoon, Mr. Hammond,' called Eleanor, as she opened the door and walked serenely in, followed by Grace. 
Henry Hammond started nervously up from his desk at the sound of her voice. The bland smile on which he greeted her changed to a frown as his eyes rested upon Grace, and he saluted her coldly. "'I am indeed honoured this afternoon,' he said with sarcasm. "'Miss Harlowe has never before visited my office.' "'We had a few minutes to spare and thought we'd run in and tell you the news,' replied Grace sweetly. "'We have just come from the police station.' "'Rather a peculiar place for two high school girls to visit, isn't it?' asked the man with the suspicion of a sneer. "'Yes, but we were the heroines of an adventure last night,' replied Grace, evenly. "'We found the bazaar money that was stolen last Thanksgiving.' "'What?' exploded Hammond. Then, trying to conceal his agitation, he said with effective carelessness, "'I do believe I remember something about that robbery.' "'I was sure that you would,' returned Grace, looking squarely at him. "'That was the night of the day you came to Oakdale, was it not?' "'I really can't recollect the exact date,' murmured Hammond. "'One of the thieves was caught to-day at the old haunted house, where he had hidden the box,' volunteered Eleanor. A greyish pallor overspread Hammond's face. With a desperate effort at self-control, he said, "'Ah, there was more than one, then?' "'Oh, yes,' declared Grace cheerfully. "'There were two in it. The other will probably be apprehended soon. The prisoner hasn't revealed his identity as yet. The funny thing is that I have seen the prisoner before.' On the train we took from New York after seeing Anne Pearson in the play, I saw the same man try to steal a watch and chain from an old gentleman, who would not believe me when I warned him of the danger. When we finally reached Oakdale, continued Grace, I watched to see if he got off the train, and he did. We saw a man meet him at the station, who— Henry Hammond sprang up, and seizing his hat, said harshly, "'I hope you two young ladies will excuse me.' What you have told me is so interesting that I believe I shall go over to the station-house and get all the details. Will you remain until I return? He fumbled in a drawer of his desk, and both girls saw him take out a bank-book. Thank you, said Grace politely. We can't stay, but before we go we should like to have you write us a cheque for five hundred dollars that Marion Barber foolishly loaned you. You see, she had no right to do so. Besides, she's still a minor. If you do it at once, we can cash it to-day. It is now fifteen minutes of three. I'll call the bank and tell them that I am coming, but first I must send a message to my father. With these words, Grace walked to the telephone without giving Hammond time to answer. Give me main 26A, please, she said. With a bound he sprang to the door, but it closed in his face, and he heard the turn of the key in the lock, just as Grace calmly called. Hello, is this Chief Burroughs? Is my father there? Then she answered. You say he is there? Well, this is his daughter, Grace. Please tell him that Miss Savelli and I are just about to leave Mr. Hammond's office and wish him to meet us outside. Hammond sprang toward Grace, but instantly realizing that it would be folly to molest her, drew back, scowling savagely. Grace hung up the receiver and rang again. This time she called the bank, asking for the president. Is this Mr. Farlow? she said. This is Grace Harlow. I am at the office of Mr. Henry Hammond, who is about to write my father a cheque for five hundred dollars, which he wishes to cash before the bank closes. It is now ten minutes of three. He will be there inside of seven minutes. Thank you. Good-bye. Now, she commanded, turning to Hammond, the expression of whose face was a combination of baffled rage, disappointment, and fear. Write the cheque. With a muttered imprecation, he went to his desk, jerked out a cheque-book, and wrote the desired cheque. "'To whom shall I make it payable?' he muttered. "'To Thomas G. Harlow,' replied Grace composedly. Inserting her father's name, he fairly flung the cheque in her face and strode to the door. "'Open this door,' 
he commanded. There was no response. You may open the door, Eleanor, called Grace. Mr. Hammond is ready to go now. The key turned in the lock. With a savage jerk, Henry Hammond flung open the door, and brushing Eleanor aside, bolted for the stairway. Five seconds later, the two girls reached the sidewalk and found Mr. Harlow waiting for them. "'Father, dear,' exclaimed Grace, "'here is a check for five hundred dollars made payable to you by Mr. Henry Hammond. You have five minutes in which to cash it before the bank closes. I'll tell you the story of it later. I haven't time now.' The first national bank was just around the corner, and three minutes later Mr. Harlow walked in, accompanied by Grace and Eleanor, and cashed the check without any trouble. "'Tom Harlow must have made money on some deal with Hammond,' thought the cashier as he closed the window. "'He's about the only one who has that I know of.' "'And now, daughter, whose money is this, and what is it all about?' asked her father gravely as they left the bank. "'I can have no better confidence than my father,' declared Grace, and she thereupon told him that whole story. Mr. Harlow heard her story with mingled emotions of pride and disapproval. "'Never take such a risk again, Grace,' he said sternly. "'Suppose this man had carried a revolver. He might easily have turned the tables.' "'I never stopped to think what he might do, father,' said Grace ruefully. "'The honour of the senior class was at stake, and I knew that I had to get that money somehow.' Besides, I had notified Chief Burroughs as to my whereabouts, and sent word for you to wait for me, so he really was cornered. That's why Eleanor locked the door. Grace, you were incorrigible, sighed her father. But if ever again you find yourself in a snarl over the rashness of your friends, then remember that I am the wisest person to consult. It may save you considerable worry, and it will be at least a safer method. Nevertheless, he could not refrain from smiling a little as he added, What do you propose to do with this money? "'Deposit it in Upton Bank to-morrow,' was Grace's prompt reply. "'And in whose name?' asked her father. "'In Marion Barber's father,' said Grace steadily. "'This time it will be safe, for she has learned her lesson.'" End of chapter 22